0: going to be reading from verse 12, Acts chapter 1 verse 12. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Ephesus, Simon the Zalot and Judas son of James. They all together with all together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary mother of Jesus and his brothers. In those days Peter stood up among the believers a group numbering about a hundred and twenty people and said brothers and sisters The scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Jesus, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language akuldama, which is field of blood. For, for, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living amongst us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of those must become a witness with us of his, re- of his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barnabas also known as Justice, And Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell on Matthias. So he was added to the eleven apostles. All right. G'day everyone, if you don't know
1: me, I'm Rob, I'm one of the other pastors, or I am the other pastor here at Lamech Church. Uh, Before I get stuck into this passage, I'm going to pray for us. Lord, we want to thank you so much uh, that we can be in Acts again. Uh, We thank you for your truth that's there, and we pray that uh, as I speak, uh, I'll speak your truth, uh, and that you'll work in us through your spirit, uh, that it might change us. And we pray that in Jesus' great name. Um, Now in my family, Uh, I am currently the only member not currently in the process of building a house. Uh, My parents, my brother uh, and his wife, my sister and her husband are all somewhere in the process of building a new house, Uh, some further than others, Um, but you can imagine that when our family gets together and talks, uh, there's a topic that comes up over and over again. We've got a little online chat going. Uh, on Facebook Messenger uh, and as we chat uh, there's a little bit of kid photo sharing uh, our kids feature, being the, the only grandkids um, but generally the conversation turns to the impending build they talk about just about every aspect, what the kitchen's going to be like, the bench tops, uh you know, where's the laundry going to go, what's going to be on the floors, what appliances will they get uh, all sorts of things and on and on and on it goes Uh, Now that some of the builds have started, we're we're getting update shots. We're seeing how things are going. Uh, But what strikes me as interesting is that rarely do we talk about the foundations. Uh, It's not an interesting topic, I guess. Uh, It's much more intriguing to talk about the kitchen or the the bathroom or or something like that. Uh, Much more interesting than talking about how do you make the place stable. Uh, Foundations are a vital part of the building. They're just not an interesting part. Uh, Where my parents are building uh, up the coast, uh, their yard is virtually all sand. Uh, And so on that block, there's an existing garage that's been built there uh, before they bought it. Uh, And and the person who built it, built it just as you normally would. They put down a concrete slab, built the garage up on top of it. Um, But it's, it's decayed a little bit. Uh, They obviously didn't think through those foundations well enough. If you step into that garage and you place a ball on the floor, it will roll off to the back corner. The garage is sinking uh, because they haven't got the foundations right. Um, Foundations, though we don't tend to talk about them, are vitally important. Um, Now, fortunately, mum and dad uh, have hired engineers and architects uh, to figure all that stuff out so they don't run into that same sinking sand problem. And that lets them worry about the more interesting things, about the the stuff they want to talk about. Um, And I think that sometimes people have a similar approach as they come to today's passage. Uh, It's a passage that's vitally important in terms of our foundations as Christians. But I think it's one that's all too easy to gloss over. Uh, It's there. Uh, wedged in between two big events. Last week we saw the first, uh, the ascension of Jesus, that big command in Acts 1 8 that there will be his witnesses uh, powered by the Holy Spirit to the ends of the earth. And next week we're going to get to Acts 2 where we see the day of Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit uh, comes on all the believers. We see uh, Peter Pete preach powerfully. There's a lot of P's. Peter preaches powerfully, uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and 3,000 people are converted. And so we have this little section kind of jammed in between there where they choose a new apostle. Uh, A new apostle who, incidentally, we don't really hear anything else about through the rest of Acts. He's not named again, uh, just spoken of generally as one of the apostles. And so I think it's easy to gloss over this passage, uh, to kind of skip to that more interesting part in the next chapter or seemingly more interesting. Um, but but I want to say today that it's vital for us to stop and pay attention to what's going on here. Um, because this passage shows some of the key foundations in our faith. Uh, and without us recognising them, I think we're at risk of sinking into the sand. And it's not just something you can hand over to someone else to worry about. My parents uh, handed over their foundations to the engineers. Uh, but for us, it's vital that we understand what our faith is built on. Uh, so that we individually, and as a church, can stand firm. Uh, I do want to say that uh, as we we come to this passage, one of the things I think that that often perks people's interests uh, as they look through this passage is that in it, we see a process of decision-making as they choose this next apostle. And and it's interesting, I think even helpful. Um, But there's a danger for us to put... Uh, all our focus on this decision-making would be to miss the significance of the passage. And that's something we talked about last week. We, we want to make sure that we're not starting with the topic, uh, but we're working out what the passage is there for and how it puts the spotlight on Jesus. And so what we're going to do today, uh, I'm going to preach. i preach through the passage and what it's there for, um, but we're going to circle back afterwards. Liam and I are going to sit down, we're going to chat through this, this interesting part of, uh, where we get to think about decision-making and kind of make sense of that as well. Um, so here, as we focus on the thrust of the passage, uh, we're going to see three big things come that come to light, uh, three incredibly important things as, as we think about our foundations, our apostolic foundations. Uh, firstly, we're going to see why having a 12th apostle matters. Uh, the, then we'll see how to choose the right person for the job what's the process there Uh, and lastly we're going to see the ongoing significance of the apostles why they still matter today Uh, so let's get into that first one Uh, what's going on here why why is there a need to replace Judas in the first place as we kick off uh, i think it's helpful to notice the context what's been going on here Uh, you'll remember from last week that so far in acts jesus has given them their mission Uh, he's given them instructions Uh, what's going to happen, he's told them to go and wait in Jerusalem for the arrival of the Holy Spirit. Uh, And we saw, as Alice read, that that's exactly what they've done. They've headed back to Jerusalem. Uh, They're they're waiting together. They're spending their time in prayer. Uh, We read that the group is bigger than just the apostles. Uh, There's the women who've been following along. Uh, There's Jesus' mother and brothers. Uh, And there's a broader group. Peter mentions 120 uh, that that are there as they meet. Uh, and then Peter speaks up. Uh, he starts this process of replacing Judah uh, and Judas. And, and maybe you're wondering why they couldn't have just gone without. I mean, a cricket team has eleven players. A soccer team has eleven players. Couldn't they just keep going as they were? I mean, they had a whole big group of them. Uh, there's lots of people to do the work. 120 of them gathered. Um, but listen to what Peter says, uh, and I'm going to skip over verses 18 and 19. Uh, just filling us in on some of the grisly stuff of Judas's death. Uh, a little aside. Um, but listen to what Peter says. He says in those day, it says in those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, "Brothers and sisters, the Scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas." who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He's one of our number and shared in our ministry. For, said Peter, uh, and that's skipping ahead, for, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Peter says another must replace Judas, and he does that by pointing to scripture. He looks back to the Old Testament, a couple of passages from Psalms, uh, and both show Judas's demise as well as the need to replace them, replace him. Uh, the first one he, he quotes, the first psalm is Psalm 69, uh, and it's a psalm that appeals to God uh, as a community under attack, uh, asking him to bring wrath against these enemies and remove them from the community. And so Peter applies this psalm to Judas. Uh, Judas uh, is removed. This psalm is fulfilled. Uh, and then we see Psalm 109, the second psalm he mentions, uh, which is again a psalm asking for vindication against enemies. Uh, and it calls for the enemy's life to be cut short and for his position in the community to be given to another. And so Peter, appealing to Scripture, calls for a new 12th apostle. Uh, as he says in 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 there uh, that scripture has been fulfilled it's god's has to be fulfilled it's god's plan uh spoken by the holy spirit through david uh, and it's what god shows us and in one sense we could stop there couldn't we that that's enough uh, right there in what we see is the catalyst to replace judas it's prophesied in scripture but we also want to acknowledge that there's more going on here um what is obvious to them perhaps isn't so obvious to us, to you. Uh, and so we want to draw that out, uh, and that is that there is an incredible significance at play when it comes to the number twelve. Uh, having eleven or thirteen wouldn't cut it. Twelve is required. That's the number that Jesus chose, and he chose that number for a reason. I'm um, looking back in the Old Testament, it's pretty easy to to see the significance of the number 12, Uh, it comes in the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, No doubt you've heard of them before. Uh, The 12 tribes came from Jacob's 12 sons, which grew into a nation. And so the entirety of the people of God is captured uh, in the idea of the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, The notion of God's people was synonymous with the nation of Israel and synonymous with the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, so right away, when Jesus chooses 12 followers to be his apostles, that should raise a flag. It should, should draw our attention to it. Uh, the fact that he chose the number 12 is pretty significant. Uh, we'll look quickly at where that happened. So we'll flick back uh, to Luke 6. Uh, remember, from last week, we saw Luke is volume 1, Acts is volume 2. Uh, and so I'm going to read from Luke 6, starting at verse 12. One of those days, Jesus went, to a mountain, went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, who he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Um, Now this action of Jesus choosing these 12 as his apostles is hugely provocative. Uh, It's in the context where Israel's leaders are are rejecting Jesus and he calls these 12 apostles a new representation of the people of God. And as you hear that, maybe you think, whoa, he's reading a little bit into this. Maybe Jesus just likes the number 12. Um, Maybe it's just a coincidence Uh, But I want to show you that's not the case. Have a look with me a bit further on in the book of Luke, chapter 22. Uh, These verses we'll look at come in the context of uh, the Passover supper, the last supper as we call it, uh, as Jesus addresses the apostles. Uh, I'll I'll read uh, from verse 28. Jesus says, You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my Father conferred one on me. So that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. The apostles are given the kingdom. They're to sit at Jesus' table, they're to judge the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, they have replaced, they are the new people of God. And if you really want to see the significance, Uh, Come with me to one more place. We're going to go to Revelation chapter 21 uh, where we see the incredible image of the new Jerusalem, uh, this new city descending. uh, And listen to how its foundations are described. We read the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The new Jerusalem, the ultimate heavenly dwelling place for God's people, is built on the foundation of the 12 apostles. See, it's absolutely important that this choosing of a 12th apostle happens. Uh, 12 is significant. Uh, It's important uh, that a replacement for Judas is found. Uh, So uh, that's why the 12th apostles matter. It's why it's so important that we see 12. Uh, Secondly, we want to see then... What qualifications are required? How will they choose this new twelfth man? Uh, well, Peter spells it out for us. Uh, it's there in the passage. We'll go to verses 21 and 22. Peter says, Therefore it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us this whole time. The Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And so the criteria is quite simple there, isn't it? They need to have been one of the number that has been following Jesus uh, since John's baptism, since Jesus really started his ministry. Uh, And they need to have been there, hung around, right through to his ascension, uh, which has only happened just days before this event is taking place. But more than having just been there, uh, it needed to be someone who was with them, who was a witness They're looking for someone uh, who was there to see the things that Jesus did and to hear the things that Jesus taught. Uh, Being a witness to the resurrection, being there in those final days, means hearing Jesus' final explanation of what it all means. His interpretation of his own life uh, and ministry. Um, Right near the end of the book of Luke, we read an account of the resurrected Jesus appearing to the disciples. And listen to, to what uh, he says. Uh, he said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Uh, you are the witnesses of these things. Um, now, that's the, the kind of flip side of, of Acts 1 8. It happens at the end of Luke here, uh, and then at the beginning of Acts there. Uh, so that connects the two together. Uh, but did you see in there that, that this new apostle must be a witness? Someone who was in that group, someone who saw Jesus raised, but more than that, heard him teach. As we read in that passage, someone who had their mind opened so they could understand scripture. That's the criteria. But it was more than just qualifications. Uh, they didn't just uh, say anyone can who's got that can be an apostle. Uh, once they'd established the qualification, uh, the criteria, have a look what happens next. So reading from verse 23. So they nominated two men. Joseph called Bar, uh, Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's hearts. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell on Matthias. So he was added to the 11 apostles. And so you see what happens there? The community puts their heads together. Uh, they, view, they use their collective wisdom to narrow it down to two. Uh, They've got their requirements, they narrow it down to two, Joseph and Matthias, and then what do they do? They turn it over to God in prayer. It's only God who knows hearts, uh, that's what they say. And so as an expression of that trust that that God is the one who knows, they cast lots, uh, which is akin to throwing the dice, and it landed on Matthias. And so in the end, it's him who becomes this 12th apostle both qualified, uh, discerned by the group, and chosen by God. Um, Now, a little step aside to uh, to anticipate the question you might ask, what's the deal with casting lots? Uh, It was something that was relatively common in the Old Testament, but after here in Acts we don't see it happen again. Uh, The sentiment comes out, uh, in Proverbs, where we read, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Uh, so casting lots uh, sounds a little bit like gambling, but really it's it's a way of handing the final decision over to God. Um, now, when Liam and I talk after this, uh, as we talk about decision-making, that will come up uh, as part of that process, so I'll, I'll leave uh, more chat of that to there. But, um, but, but that's where we end, that's, that's this process, that's how we ended up with Matthias, uh, through his qualifications, through their prayer, through God's choosing. Uh, and so that leads us to ask this big question of, of why does it matter? I started off today talking about uh, foundations, uh, the, the, this passage is something that, that shows us foundations that are essential for us as Christians. And so uh, why are the apostles so important? That's our third point. Uh, What is the ongoing significance of this moment, of these apostles? Uh, Well, in simple terms, the apostles matter because it's their witness that the church grows on. Their witness is the medium for the birth and growth of the church. Uh, Last week we talked about Jesus as the main character of the story of Acts, uh, that it all points to him, that it's him who should be in the spotlight. Uh, And it's the apostles who do that pointing, powered, of course, by the Holy Spirit. They're the ones who put Jesus there in the fore, in the spotlight. And we've seen that their witness isn't just relaying an account. It's not something that they've heard and are passing along. They are eyewitnesses. They weren't proclaiming their ideas. It wasn't even their own interpretation of what happened. In the apostles, Jesus gave the authoritative interpretation of his death and resurrection, of the scriptures themselves. We saw that at the end of Luke. Remember he said, Then we read that he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. The apostles were the authoritative witness to the truth of what Jesus said and did. And in that, the the position and the title of apostle is unique. It was for a specific purpose, for a specific time. Uh, It doesn't tend to happen in our circles. I don't think we're in much danger here at Lake Mac Church. But certainly there have been those, even in recent times, uh, who've been leaders of a church or a movement and have claimed the title of apostle. But it can't be the case. So if the person next to you wants to say, oh, I think I'm an apostle, you can say, no, no, you're not. The apostles were specific to this moment in history for the establishing of the church to be the authoritative witnesses to Jesus. Um, Now, I want to anticipate another potential question that you might have. Uh, Perhaps you are wondering hang on, hang on, hang on. There's the 12 apostles, but what about Paul? Uh, He regularly claimed to be an apostle. Where does that fit? Um, Now, that's a big question. Uh, Paul is unique. Uh, Listen to how he describes himself in, in 1 Corinthians 15. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and then he appeared to Cephas, uh, and then to the Twelve. After that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and, and sisters at that time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all he appeared to me also. As to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Uh, So in in that account, you kind of you're getting a a big overview of some of that stuff that we're seeing in Acts, that that Jesus appeared to these different people. Uh, And notice that Paul refers to the twelve apostles as a specific group, separate from himself. And then he refers to himself as, yes, an apostle, but one abnormally born. Is Paul an apostle? Yes. He's referred to as one multiple times in the New Testament, but he's also an unusual case. Uh, a bit same, same, but different, because he, is, he too is a witness to the resurrected Jesus. Uh, on the road to Damascus, he saw him. Uh, so whilst I think we need to hold him up as an apostle, the, the Bible does, We also need to recognise him as not one of the twelve. They had a a unique role in preserving the teachings of Jesus and were established in that before Paul was converted. God made Paul an apostle but with a different purpose and the twelve in their authority acknowledged Paul in that role. And that's really key. Uh, See, he he still plays that same role that the apostles play in preserving the foundational truths of Jesus, built on the witnesses of the Twelve and endorsed by them. Paul a witness, but endorsed by the Twelve. Still laying down that foundation. Um, Now, does that mean that there's space for more apostles to come? Uh, I guess in in one sense, sure. Uh, If you can get the Twelve Apostles to sign off on your apostleship, by all means, but uh, I think that ship has sailed. It's too late. Uh, the 12 are gone. Uh, and so, so, really, no, that time has passed. We, we won't see any more apostles. And significantly, the apostles having the role they did in, in that specific time and place means that we, what we know of Jesus is reliable. And that's, the, that's this core thing that we need to hold on to. The early church was deeply concerned for the preservation of, the, of an accurate account, not only of the life and work of Jesus, but of its true interpretation. And we don't have to wonder on the meaning of what Jesus said because it's Jesus' interpretation as entrusted to the apostles. And we have that preserved for us in the Bible. We no longer have apostles amongst us because their job is done. The truth is preserved. Now, it's interesting to note uh, that here Judas is replaced, but later on when we get to Acts chapter 12, the apostle James dies at the hands of Herod. A new apostle is not appointed. Why? Uh, Because the job has been done. The truth of Jesus has been preserved. And a big thing that, that, that should highlight for you is the incredible confidence that we can have in the truths of Christianity. So it's not Chinese whispers. People would have you believe that. That's how people talk about it. What we have in the Bible was preserved directly from the source, from the eyewitnesses, those who were with Jesus. We can know the truth of what we believe even now, 2,000 years after the fact. Uh, When people malign Christianity as a fairy tale, we can have confidence to refute that unfounded claim as false. Because of the foundation Jesus laid through the apostles, empowered by the Holy Spirit. For us to know uh, that our faith is built on solid foundations is simply to ask if it's been built on the solid foundation of what Jesus taught. Uh, through the Apostles. For someone to be a true leader or teacher in the church is simply for someone to be someone who builds on the foundation of the Apostles, on that truth. Any other foundation is a false one. Uh, In the Catholic Church, uh, I think this has been confused somewhat uh, by what they call the apostolic tradition. Uh, They say that to be truly connected to the Apostles comes through the laying of on of hands in an unbroken succession of bishops going back all the way to Peter. and Now, they would hold that so firmly as to say that you're only a genuine church leader or priest if you've had hands laid on you by someone who's had hands laid on them going back all the way to Peter. But we've seen that's not the measure at all. The apostolic church is not one that's had hands laid on correctly, It's one that holds on to the truths about Jesus as preserved by the apostles. That's the foundation that matters. That's the measure. The church pops up in China. We don't ask, have they had the right hands laid on the right people? We, We ask, do they have those foundational truths? That's what matters. When we think of where this passage sits, sandwiched between Jesus sending them out as witnesses and the arrival of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and the great proclamation of the kingdom that comes with him, I think it becomes easy to see why this is here. Why the first step of going to the ends of the earth was to get the foundations right. It's vital that before any growth can happen, that the foundations are true, that they're solid. Listen to these words from Paul in Corinthians, He too speaks about foundations. He says, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be built with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. To be established as a Christian is to be established on the foundations laid by the apostles. To grow as a Christian only works if you're building on top of that firm foundation. It is vital for each of us to be sure that our foundations are right. Yes, make sure you're at a church that does that, that's grounded in the Bible. The preserved truth of Jesus, check what I say, check what Liam says. Make sure it matches up. But unlike my parents' house, This isn't something you can outsource. You can only be sure of your foundations if you care enough to take responsibility for yourself. We must make sure our foundations are right. And the only way that we can do that is to be people who know their Bibles. You can't be a Christian who's just not into the Bible. It, It doesn't work. It doesn't add up. It's a new year. Welcome to 2021. Actually, uh, I'm saying this still in 2020, uh, but unless Jesus came back or the internet's completely broken down, uh, if you're watching this, you've made it. You're in 2021. I'm sure things are very different on the other side. Uh, But this new year time is the time when we make resolutions, isn't it? When we commit to change. But I want to call on you not to make that resolution to get fitter, Don't don't make it to get more organised or be more successful. Resolve instead to get deeper into the Bible, to invest in your foundations, to secure yourself in the truth of Jesus. I want to finish by reading some of Jesus' words, reading the parable that Jesus spoke about, the wise and foolish builders. That's the picture of, of what we're after here. Listen with me. and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Let's be Christians who build their house on the rock, on Jesus' words. Let's pray. Lord, we we are just so thankful uh, that in your grace, in your wisdom, uh, that you preserved your truth, and that you showed us what Jesus said and did and what it means and you did that through the apostles and we thank you for the role that they play we thank you uh, that you use them in the way that you did so that now all these years later uh, we can be sure of your truth we can be sure of what Jesus did and said we can be sure of what it means to be in relationship with you and we can be sure of the hope that we have in heaven Lord, help us rest on that firm foundation. Help us to be people who are into the Bible, who dig into your word. Help us stand strong and help us
0: to do that together. We pray that in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.